You are now listening to the MS podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. In this podcast, the brain takes center stage when Ole Petteriella, best-selling author and professional speaker, explores the different dimensions of MS and brain health through conversations with international specialists within neuroscience, psychology and physical activity. The Epstein-Barr virus, EBV, is a member of the herpes virus family and is one of the most common human viruses. Mononucleosis is an infectious condition that can arise from EBV, and today we know that there is a connection between developing mononucleosis and the risk for MS. In this episode, we look closer at the role of EBV in MS and its association with brain MRI images. Professor Robert Sevadanov will be our guest today. He is the director of the Buffalo Neuroimaging Analysis Center in the U.S. and has established the center as a world leader in performing quantitative MRI analysis in neurodegenerative disorders. Welcome, Robert. Thank you for joining the MS Podcast today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Let's start with the questions. Epstein-Barr virus antibody activity could be linked to neurodegeneration in MS patients. Could you elaborate a little bit on the correlation between humoral response to EBV and the MRI disease activity we can see? Yes, absolutely. So as you said, MS uh, is a disease of the central nervous system, which is characterized by inflammation, blood-brain barrier breakdown, demyelination, lesion formation, and axonal damage. And uh, although we don't know the cause of MS, MS risk is associated uh, with environmental, neuroimmune, and genetic factors. Specifically, uh, one of them is the Epstein-Barr virus, but also sun exposures, vitamin D deficiency, smoking, and genetics. About 50% of the children and uh, 90% of adults have been exposed or are exposed to EBV. And when it comes to MS, this exposure is greater. Nearly all MS patients exhibit evidence of EBV infection. When talking about uh, association between humoral uh, response to EBV and uh, MRI brain imaging biomarkers, you need to consider uh, distinguishing three different antibody EBV panels. These are early antigen or EA the nuclear antigen or EBNA and viral capsid antigen. We can also measure directly the viral load of uh, EBV. Reason why these three humoral responses are very important is because uh, some of them represent acute infection, some of them late infection, some of them really stay for a lifelong persistent. And uh, different studies have been really done between uh, MRI inflammatory markers and humoral responses to EBV. And the bottom line of these studies is that higher the humoral response to EBV is, more blood-brain barrier breakdown you have as measured by presence of gut-enhancing lesions or contrast-enhancing lesions as present with the accumulation of new enlarging T2 lesions and uh, this has been shown in patients with early onset clinical isolated syndrome in patients with relapsing remitting ms and even in the later stages of the disease and to explain this association between these inflammatory mri markers 
and humoral response to EBV, I think we should kind of think of uh, infectious mononucleosis that you mentioned, and uh, probably this primary EB infection is uh, contributing to enhanced permeability of the blood-brain barrier. And that's why we see this connection with inflammatory markers. This is not just specific to EBV, but to a host of different antigens, including measles, varicero, zoster virus, rubella virus, a phenomenon that we call MRZ uh, reaction. So you can think uh, about this primary EBV connection and opening of blood barrier really as a two-hit phenomenon, because on one side you have this initial opening, and then on the later lymphocytes-based inflammation happens, and uh, uh, probably the EBV is facilitating, triggering this initial inflammation in the disease. So it's like uh, really in the beginning of the disease, a facilitator for higher inflammatory activity. You obviously uh, already touched upon this, but based on the knowledge we have today on the role of EBV in MS pathophysiology and on the most recent radiological findings, uh, could you say something a little bit more about uh, the role in the pathophysiology of EBV, especially when it comes to B cells and in vivo imaging? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Once the B cells uh, cross the blood-brain barrier and enter in the central nervous system, they employ a number of different mechanisms uh, which uh, take part in MS pathology. One of them is uh, antigen presentation, uh, which is the major role of B cells and uh, involves the processing and the presentation of the viral antigens for really priming cytotoxic T cells. These particularly memory B cells play an important role in the pathogenesis because they are reservoir for uh, particularly Epstein-Barr virus latency and also to antigen-presenting cells which activate autoaggressive T cells uh, against these myelin proteins. So what's happening uh, substantially is that in the brain and spinal cord of MS patients, this B cell aggregate within the subarachnoid spaces into these lymphoid-like structures, a process uh, that probably is uh, guided by the expression of lymphoid uh, homing chemokines. And uh, this has now been well-established. It's connected uh, in a number of pathologic studies with the presence of uh, Epstein-Barr virus in these lymphoid follicles. And most recently, as you said, there has been really developments on radiological side to detect these lymphoid tertiary organs. One of the way to detect them is to use a 3D flare post-contrast imaging, uh, up to 10 minutes post-contrast at 3 Tesla. It can be done also on the ultra-high field strength, for example, at 7 Tesla. And uh, to identify this contrast enhancement in these uh, subarachnoidal spaces, which uh, can be seen as uh, hyperintense. A number of uh, uh, recent studies uh, kind of uh, detected different prevalence of these uh, lymphoid uh, organs uh, in vivo in patients with MS, with frequency getting higher in uh, patients in the later stages of the disease. This is extremely interesting because what I just told you before 
in the early stages of the disease, we have uh, clearly in earlier patients, in CIS, in RR patients, higher number and the volume of uh, enhancing lesions in the parenchyma. But there, what I'm saying now is that in the later stages of the disease, this uh, paradox of uh, contrast enhancement is moving from the parenchyma and blood-brain barrier breakdown to disrupt inflammation, compartmentalized inflammation in these tertiary lymphoid organs that can be seen as leptomeningeal contrast enhancement. Maybe later I can speak uh, more specifically about some studies uh, of leptomeningeal contrast enhancement in correlation with other MRI biomarkers of neurodegeneration, because we do not believe that this leptomeningeal contrast enhancement inflammation represent a, an acute, but rather chronic inflammation that's persisting over the years. As a matter of fact, uh, when you repeat an MRI, which we did in number of uh, studies and other groups have done too, you are over and over finding same contrast enhancements in the same areas, confirming that probably this is trapped compartmentalized inflammation in the disease. Can you give us a little bit more insights uh, on the key or the main findings from MRI studies regarding EBV and MS? And do you think the presence of EBV in MS uh, still is an important area of discussion? I, I definitely think it is. I think not enough has been done to understand really this phenomenon. You know, EBV is not a new story in MS. It's a story of 20, 30 years. What is critical is that we know that uh, future patients with MS from epidemiological studies are going to increase their humoral response or titer in the five to 10 years before they clinically develop MS. So it's uh, something that definitely precedes MS. That's why possible vaccination, as we may discuss uh, later, to prevent uh, EBV uh, loading of the virus may be a, a very effective preventive strategy. But clearly, the EBV does not have just the neuroinflammatory role in the early stages. As you mentioned, it's also connected with neurodegeneration. Particularly, my group in the last um, decade or so has been contributing to a number of, I think, uh, important papers establishing relationship between Epstein-Barr virus titer or humoral response and gray matter injury in, in MS. We have found that uh, patients who have higher titers of uh, EBV, VCA, EBNA have more cortical atrophy, have higher increased T2 lesion volume, T1 lesion volume and number. These are really particularly subset of T2 lesions that are called black holes and that are representing more axonal damage. We also have found greater brain atrophy. Those people also have greater disability. The positive correlation between particularly viral capsid antigen or VCA, which is lifelong persistent in uh, MS patients and gray matter injury is the strongest. The peculiar thing is that we measured in uh, healthy controls and people with other neurologic diseases, as I said, 90% of 
uh, population are positive for EBV and we are not finding this association. So it's very MS specific. On the other hand, recently we did a technique called magnetization transfer imaging, which is really measuring extent of demyelination in the brain and found particularly that in uh, cortical parts of the brain, there was association between the decreased MTR, which means more demyelination, and a higher humoral response to the CBV antigens, again confirming that uh, uh, there is a possible connection between the two. Uh, lastly, I would say on this argument that uh, the effect is probably localized to these follicles, so it's kind of compartmentalized. One specific study that my group did a couple of years ago was really looking at the effect of demyelination just on the areas around these follicles. And as you get inside from the follicles of the superficial part of the brain, as you will see, decreasing demyelination effect. So the highest demyelination is closest to the follicles and then going uh, uh, inside, this effect vanishes. So this is probably related to this cytotoxic neurodegenerative effect that uh, EBV may play through this EBV latency. As you mentioned, uh, Robert, about 90% or so of adults have uh, the presence of antibodies towards EBV. Do we know much about how much the risk increases of uh, developing MS if you have uh, antibodies towards EBV versus not having them? That's a great question. If in particular you have had infectious mononucleosis, your risk for MS increases between 10 to 20 times. So in particular, having a mononucleosis, and the, the reason for the mononucleosis is because I did not mention before But uh, it's not just the EBV. You need to have also certain genetic predisposition to, for example, HLA-B7 is a, a major histocompatibility antigen. And the patients who are positive for this antigen usually have more frequent uh, uh, EBV-related diseases. MS is not just one. For example, Hodgkin lymphoma is another one. It has been published that patients with MS have a higher risk for Hodgkin lymphoma than just for MS. So the bottom line is that in a recent uh, study uh, that uh, used several different antibody antigen and uh, PCR tests, to detect a viral load of EBV in every MS patient in a very big cohort of several thousand patients, virtually every patient has EBV. There is no MS patient who is EBV negative. So that's different from the healthy controls. And the second thing, but you know, half of these patients who are positive for MS are not going to have high humoral response or high titer of EBV. So it's not just to have and be positive for EBV as a part of the story. You need genetic environmental predisposition to trigger and uh, to have to be HLA-DR1501 positive or HLA-B7 positive clearly increases the risk for the latency and uh, ubiquity of the EBV. 
So, so that's uh, so that's very important to, to to take into account. That's very interesting. Could you briefly explain the association of EBV presence with leptomeningeal inflammation, or more specifically, what are your thoughts about the possible contribution of EBV to persistent CNS compartmentalized inflammation, such as in the meninges, thus contributing to more diffuse non-relapsing progressive injury? So that's a that's a great uh, question, and I think that the discovery of uh, tertiary lymphoid follicles within the meninges specifically in progressive MS patients, elicits a new research interest in the last uh, decade. Specifically, this structure might be associated with the extent of uh, cortical atrophy and high disability. Pathological studies and brain tissue pathological analysis of uh, primary progressive patients reveal that uh, there is EB-infected B cells uh, with uh, expressing EBNA1, EBNA2, that uh, aggregate in this meningeal infiltration and cervical lymph nodes, suggesting that uh, possible involvement of EBV may be more likely in the progressive phases. Now, that being said, since memory B cells represent a lifelong repertoire for latent EBV infection, the aggregation of B cells and T cells within uh, these tertiary follicles may indicate possible site interaction following EBV virus infection. And for given that we know this for like 15 years and many pathological studies have confirmed what I just said, there was an extensive research how to create a correlate uh, imaging biomarker to in vivo demonstrate uh, these meningeal infiltrates. And as I said before, uh, one of the first group uh, to, to show that was the NIH group in which uh, they had this idea to use the 3D flare uh, after prolonged uh, contrast uh, delay of 10 minutes to detect these uh, focal inflammatory areas. There have been also different types of uh, leptomeningeal enhancements described. Uh, some are feeling like, some are just very focal, but there uh, some are around the vessels. So we recently published uh, a paper on a three Tesla MRI showing uh, prevalence of uh, these three different, four different types of leptomeningeal enhancement. And uh, about 30 to 40% of relapsing remitting patients and about 40 to 50% of uh, progressive patients have presence of this enhancement at any time point the, uh, doing the MRI. When you go to a seven Tesla MRI, this is, and now there are a couple of uh, really important articles on that, this is becoming a phenomenon that's present in 90% of relapsing and progressive patients with MS. It has been shown that uh, over five years, that if you have a presence of this leptomeningeal enhancement, you are going and you have a mess, you are going to develop more cortical atrophy. So patients who had presence of leptomeningeal enhancement had more cortical atrophy developed over five years than those who did not. A couple of years ago, we really added assessment of leptomeningeal enhancement to our clinical routine everyday protocol in multiple sclerosis and published number of papers, we found that in a, a clinical routine, the prevalence of 3T was somewhat lower, around 20 to 30%. 
And we did not find that uh, disease-modifying therapies have uh, been positive to change any status of this enhancement, which is persistent from year to year. We see it uh, as a compartmentalized inflammation in the same area. I would just say that there is still a lot of lack of standardization in assessing uh, this uh, leptomeningeal enhancement on MRI. We established in the literature that it's critical to acquire pre- and post-contrast 3D flare, which is substantially increasing timing of the protocol to about 15 to 20 minutes. It's very important because of the artifacts to do the subtraction between the two images, and then you can see this leptomeningeal enhancements very clearly. So I would say that assessment of leptomeningeal enhancement is a great research tool, but not ready for prime application in the clinical routine. Could you comment a little bit about the association between greater humoral response toward EBV and the more severe pathology that we see uh, within chronic T1 hypointense lesions and the gray matter? So the findings... uh on this topic have been somewhat uh, controversial. Uh, the benefit trial followed about 450 patients over two years and uh, did not uh, find that not, neither EBNA or VCA IgG titer affected uh, these uh, MRI outcomes, especially the hypointense T1 lesion. On the other hand, uh, another study, uh, set study that included 211 uh, CIS patients and followed them for two years and four years, uh, subsequently found that patients who had a higher response to EBV had more thalamic atrophy, more accumulation of uh, T1 hypointense black hole lesions, and uh, more uh, cortical, gray matter cortical atrophy. So the correlation between EBV and MRI disease activity is uh, very interesting, especially if you can, during the treatment of MS, reverse this phenomenon. In one study that we recently published, uh, we found that uh, with an oral treatment, we were able to change the titer of uh, EBV over uh, one-year follow-up. And uh, this was extremely well correlated with accumulation of cortical atrophy in this relapsing patient. So patients who had major drop in EBV during the study showed less progression in cortical atrophy. Uh, This is kind of a really in vivo observation. So on a small number of patients, uh, there have been also controls in that study, healthy controls, which did not have a change or effect on cortical atrophy with EBV. Uh, We definitely need more studies that can look into a possible effect of uh, disease-modifying treatments on changes of EBV, and does that then has an impact to develop of gray matter pathology in, uh, in multiple sclerosis. Robert, what is your opinion on the uh, scene discrepancies in the relapsing remittance MS uh, versus secondary progressive MS when it comes to the location of the EBV-infected B cells and uh, the shedding of viral particles into the circulation? In general, in, in, the, in the studies that have been published, 
the association of EBV markers with more inflammatory MRI mar- biomarkers of disease like T2 lesions, gut enhancing lesions, even T1 black holes is in uh, uh, white matter pathology is greater. In the progressive patients, there are better correlations between EBV markers and uh, neurodegeneration as reflected by whole brain atrophy, cortical atrophy, thalamic atrophy, uh, presence of uh, chronic slowly expanding lesions, atrophied lesion volume, and so on. So that's telling you also that uh, effect of EBV is kind of uh, dual. In the first fund, probably related to the breakdown of the blood band barrier in the later stages, probably related to more neurodegeneration, EBV latency, And uh, I would say that uh, what is needed in that direction is that uh, there is really needed development of the newer imaging technology that can better enable the identification of these lymphatic vessels that carry fluid and immune cells from meninges and CSF to, to deep cervical lymph nodes. If we will be able to better image that, and, and try to understand better this phenomenon of leptomeningeal inflammation, this trapped inflammation, and how this really works not just at the level of the uh, meninges, but to the deep cervical lymph nodes, I'm pretty sure that uh, we will be able to better understand how EBV is uh, affecting uh, the brain, both in early and later stages uh, of the disease. Let's talk a little bit about treatment. Could you weigh in <clears throat> on um, the effects of disease-modifying therapies that might be targeting EBV and their possible mode of action? That's, that's uh, as I said before, a critical question. And since EBV is establishing long-term latency uh, within the memory B cells, one of the targets for certainly for uh, uh, decreasing the EB effect would be elimination of infected B cells, uh, which may be improve the control of infection. So in preclinical studies, intratecal injections uh, of B cell depleting therapies showed decrease of tertiary lymphoid follicles near central nervous system lesions. That was very encouraging and uh, led to a number of uh, studies both uh, intratecal and intravenous of applying B-cell depleting therapies for decreasing the tighter uh, as well as humoral response of EBV. In general, some of the preliminary work that has been published was uh, not encouraging. Actually, there was no really effect, neither on uh, areas of leptomeningeal enhancement neither of uh, really, and clearly it's difficult to do the, the tissue pathology. So in these studies, mostly the leptomeningeal enhancement on MRI has been a biomarker. On the other hand, there have been a couple of uh, studies with uh, oral agents, as well as with first-generation DMTs. First-generation DMTs really did not have much of an effect on uh, EBV pathophysiology. However, some antiviral DMTs uh, with antiviral properties, both in vitro and in vivo, uh, have shown some potential for uh, regulating uh, EBV humoral response. 
take into account that uh, EBV has to replicate, right? So if you are, uh, in some extent, uh, decreasing the potential uh, replication of the EBV, that would possibly have a, a positive effect. And there are drugs on the market that are working into that direction. Finally, I would say that, uh, and I mentioned that earlier in our discussion, that uh, e- development of EB vaccine would be extremely interesting because if you can define who are those people who have a higher risk for developing MS, maybe giving them EB vaccine, especially, you know, in those who have a familial MS, right? A genetic predisposition for MS, this could postpone the EB infection from childhood to adolescence. And that's the period which is most sensitive to environmental influences and possibly increasing the risk of negative outcomes associated with EBV immune response. So I would say that uh, there are certainly different type of strategies, including uh, development of EB vaccines that uh, have been considered in MS. Thank you. Just quickly, a uh, final question here. Therapy selectively targeting subsets of B cells, uh, such as those infected with EBV, could provide an innovative approach for treatment. How do you see a potential implication for treating both relapsing and progressive forms of MS with these types of uh, drugs? So that's that's a question in particular that I have been, you know, touching upon e- even in uh, in the previous answer. We know now that some of these therapies, which have been extremely efficient in uh, relaxing phases of the disease, are not so efficient in the progressive phases of the disease. And uh, maybe the reason for that is that uh, uh, while the EBV contributes to neurodegeneration in these uh, secondary progressive phases of the disease, there are other mechanisms that have been triggered, like, for example, microglia activation that may really further contribute to the damage, which is not EBV dependent. So I'm not sure whether a long-term exposure to B-cell depletion is going to provide any benefit regarding the EBV-mediated neurodegeneration, especially based on this preliminary work and uh, the fact that uh, some of the studies that have been published do not suggest that there is a change in the EBV latency with these B-cell depletion therapies. I would say one more thing, uh, which, which we did not touch upon, and that is retroviral therapies. As you know, uh, you mentioned that EBV is a part of the herpes uh, simplex group of viruses, and there are other endogenous retroviruses that clearly MSRV, for example, that uh, have been studied in MS uh, recently. So one thing uh, uh, that has been uh, kind of uh, peculiar and epidemiologically based from UK and Danish studies is the fact that patients who have received anti-HIV retroviral therapies have up to 50 times lower risk to develop multiple sclerosis. So if you have HIV, you received antiretroviral therapies, your risk to develop MS is like 50 times lower. And so there have been some smaller studies done with antiretroviral therapies uh, 
uh, which have been not successful. And currently, there are ongoing trials with retroviral uh, against endogenous retroviral therapies that show some promise against uh, neurodegeneration, particularly accumulation of black holes, brain atrophy. To me, that's that's an interesting step because uh, EBV definitely falls in that group of the viruses. And possibly we are not talking just about EBV, but as I said before, there are rubella and other MRZ viruses and retroviruses. And so if we can possibly you know, trigger all of them that could have a major impact on uh, slowing down neurodegeneration and disability in multiple sclerosis. Thank you, Robert. Um, To round up this very fascinating and interesting talk, could you quickly summarize and maybe come up with a a key takeaway from our talk to the clinicians out there that they can use in their own clinical practice? So... Clearly, you know, we are not evaluating titer of EBV in our clinical practice. Uh, I think it's wrong, but uh, I think we should. I think that uh, if you have somebody who has had infectious mononucleosis, you, especially in the uh, with genetic predisposition, you really need to be careful and follow along, not just the MS patients, but also focus on their families. I think that uh, EBV is a fascinating story. And as you may deduct from the uh, last 30 minutes, very complicated because it's not a one straightforward answer to all questions. But there is no doubt that decreasing the EBV latency is our goal, decreasing the predisposition for EBV activation, higher titer and humoral response is our goal to prevent MS and decrease long-term effects of the disease. We still need to add both in diagnostic, prognostic and monitoring terms, EBV as a response to disease-modifying treatment. And I think we have been lacking into this for the last 20, 30 years, as I told you, there are only anecdotal reports that looked uh, in post hoc manner efficacy of different DMTs. And uh, maybe if if, uh, we can show that some therapies are consistently doing that, they would have uh, a specifically application even to much earlier phases of the disease in subjects who have uh, high susceptibility for, for multiple sclerosis. Well, Robert, thank you so much for sharing your extensive knowledge uh, with all the listeners of the MS podcast. Really great having you here. Thank you very much. Thank you for being with you. Thank you for listening to the MS podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. 